0: come to our text from Matthew chapter 7, so if you'll turn with me in your scriptures to Matthew chapter 7, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12 from Matthew chapter 7, so please give your attention to this because this is God's word. when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a stone? give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. That's where we'll end. Reading of Matthew chapter 7 for this morning. So Jesus teaches here, Do not judge. And as we come to this section in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this may be the most well-known one. So these are words that you'll hear all the time today, don't judge. So there's also a lot of baggage in our culture that goes along with this statement. There's a lot of baggage in the church that can go with it too. And so before we begin, we kind of need to address maybe some misunderstandings. And it seems to me that there are two categories here in the judgment, and one is the category of discernment, and the other will be the category of condemnation. So first, there's one thing that Jesus is not teaching here that we also hear in our culture all the time, and that's live and let live, live and let live. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. So you hear Pope Francis, maybe you remember he somewhat infamously said, when he was asked about homosexuals in the clergy, he said, well, who am I to judge? And that can sound like a holy thing. That's not holy. As if there's no such thing as sin. And as if there's no one who's qualified to make even really what amounts to a simple discernment about sin. No, rather, you must make judgments. So when Jesus says, do not judge, you actually must Make judgments because you must have discernment. Without discernment, you're fool. So Romans chapter 12 tells us that we have to be able to learn, we have to learn to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have to have careful discernment. So there's a second thing that Jesus is not teaching and that he's not teaching that the church does not have real authority. So Jesus teaches that the church does have real authority. They have the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and they exercise those keys. And he tells, for example, the Corinthian church to expel the immoral brother. There's a judgment that's made there. You remember that Paul tells the Galatian church, he says that if anybody is preaching a gospel other than the one I preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. So there's a real judgment and a real authority that the church has. And that leads us to a third thing that Jesus is not teaching. Jesus is not teaching that there is no such thing as eternal judgment. There is eternal judgment. Jesus says very clearly in John chapter 5, in verse 28, he says, a time is coming. There's a future time. This time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice the Son of Man's voice, and they will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So Jesus is not teaching that there is no such thing as a final judgment. There is a final judgment. So this word condemned, I believe that this is the way that Jesus is using this word judgment in this passage So there's a parallel passage, if you wanted to write this down in your notes. In Luke Luke chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. So I think that that's the way that Jesus is using this word in this passage. What Jesus is saying here, he's giving us a very serious warning about sin. And it's about the sin of judgmentalism. It's about the sin of judgmentalism. See, there are those people, as Jesus is dealing in all of the Sermon on the Mount, with what is the Christian life to look like in this present evil age? What is the kingdom of God? There are those people in in the church who see sin in other people's lives. Maybe they see something that's not even sin in other people's lives, and they will condemn them for it. They'll condemn them for it. And so the judgmental, the judgmental, they're very sensitive to sin in other people. It's very interesting how Jesus uses the eye. It's probably the most sensitive part of the body. If you get the smallest speck of an eyelash in there, your whole life stops. So he he deals with the eye and with the judgmental. The judgmental are sensitive to sin in other people, but they've lost all sensitivity to sin in themselves. They have a plank in their eye, and they're not even aware of it. So they can be extremely impatient with problems in other people's, and they're very quick to recognize that speck in the eye of other people, but they don't recognize that what Jesus is teaching here is you actually have a spiritual emergency going on if we have a speck in our eye we might ask for help from somebody else to wash it out but if we have a plank in our eye it's time to call the ambulance so why do we need to hear this this morning well as we read this passage and as we think about it in a preliminary way it's perhaps likely that you're thinking of someone that you know who's a judgmental person they're just everywhere aren't they these people, <laughs> these people, they may have hurt you, and they may have offended you. And we, we also know, I don't know what your experience is, people can tear churches apart. And who can't notice, who doesn't notice a plank sticking out of someone else's eye, right? But Jesus isn't teaching here how to identify specks in other people's eyes. And he's not teaching how to identify planks in other people's eyes. So if you're thinking about, and I know, I'm tempted as I go through this passage as well, if you're tempted to think about the plank in someone else's eye, it might actually just be a speck. It might not even be a speck. See, we think that judgmentalism is easy to diagnose in other people's, but judgmentalism, what Jesus is teaching, it's very difficult to diagnose in ourselves. Judgmentalism is very difficult to diagnose in ourselves. And we imagine that in our sagacity, we can clearly see it in other people. But today's text is not about examining other people. It's about examining yourself. So what we need to do this morning is we need to see that our great and gracious physician, the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to see him in his glory. I hope we can do that by his spirit and by his work. And we need the Spirit of Christ to diagnose and to treat planks and specks. And so to help us think about Jesus and his command here and his his warning here, do not judge, we'll be using three points. And those are on your outline if you care to take notes on that. The first point is, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Secondly, we'll be thinking about Jesus he is the judge. Jesus is the judge. Well, I hope we can praise God for that. And thirdly, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So, for our first point, with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. And if you think about it, what people, as we think about how other people see us and judge us, this is supremely fair. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is exactly, perfectly just and fair. So if we can use a modern measure and say, if I use a measuring tape to measure this, and especially as I'm measuring another person, Jesus says, in the judgment, that is the exact same measure that will be used for you. And if you're like me, that can be a little disconcerting. It's perfectly fair, but it can also be a little shocking. And the best way that I can think of from the scriptures to illustrate this is from the life of David. As we use this to examine ourselves, hopefully we can use the life of David to examine ourselves. You know that David, he took another man's wife. And you know that Bathsheba, she became pregnant. And it's so often the case with our sin. We add one sin to another to try and cover our sins. And so David has her husband, Uriah, brought home from the front, tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so that he can cover up with his sin. But Uriah, being more righteous, even as a non-Israelite, being more righteous than David in this case, he won't sleep with his wife. So David has to add one greater sin to his other sin of adultery, and he has Uriah sent to the front where he has Uriah murdered by the sword of the Ammonites. So we can all see this, that this is not just a speck in David's eye, but David can't see it in his own eye. So God, in his grace and his mercy, he sent the prophet Nathan to David. We read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where Nathan, being a wise man, he goes and he tells a parable to David, David the shepherd. And he says to David, he says, you know, there were two men. And these men in a certain town, there was one who was rich and there was other another who was poor. And the, the rich man, he had many sheep and many cattle, but this poor man, he only had one little ewe lamb that he bought and he treated it as a pet. The pet even ate from his table and drank from his own cup. And this pet grew up with him and with his children. And the pet was like a daughter to him. He loved him. He shared his food. And those of you who love your pets, you may know the same kind of love for your animals. And Nathan tells this story to David, likely just because David was a shepherd. And David probably loved the sheep that he cared for. David loved animals as well. And Nathan goes on to say, well, one day the rich man has a a guest come to visit, and he doesn't want to take from his own flock. So he uses his authority to take this man's sheep, and he kills it, and he feeds it to his guest. And David says, what judgment do you render, David? What is your judgment? And David says, this man should die. It's actually not allowed by the law. David goes one step further than the law allows, and David backtracks, and he says, I will put the fullness of the law on this man. And he says, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die, and he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. So you'll see that law in Exodus chapter 22. That's the measure that David uses, the fullest extent of the law. And then Nathan tells him, you are the man. See, the fullest extent of the law requires death for adultery and for murder. As we think about judgment and the condemnation of others in their sins, the same thing can happen to us too. We have a moral outrage, right? An anger that wells up in us. The justice of God has been violated. And we read about this and we can think about it as we read in passages like Romans chapter one. And I think that this starts to happen to us, especially as we come to like a new election cycle, right? We see the sin of others and we we hear God's righteous judgment against those who commit heinous sins. We read in Romans tw- uh, chapter one that those who are filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, the sexually immoral, the perverse, the murderers, the God-haters, those even who invent ways of doing evil, new things that we may never have heard of. And although they know God's righteous decree, they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, But they also approve of those who practice them and maybe legislate in favor of those who practice them. And our moral, righteous indignation can be stirred up. And then we turn the page to Romans chapter 2. And if you look with me at Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. Say that again, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. It seems to me that what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 is very similar to what Nathan is doing with David as he comes to him and says, you are the man. Jesus tells us it's with the measure that you use that it will be measured to you. And that will bring us to our second point, and that is, thankfully, Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. I'd like us to think about John chapter 5, if you'd like to turn with me in your scriptures to John chapter 5 and verse 21. We see Jesus is the judge. If we look at John chapter 5 and verse 21, we read, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. So notice here two things. First, if you're taking notes under Jesus as the judge, notice life. So if you look at verse 26 in John 5, as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. And second, notice judgment, judgment. There's life here, and there's judgment. In verse 22, we read that the Father judges no one. And in verse 27, we read that the Father has given Jesus authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. I found that a little confusing, so I had to dig a little bit deeper. What does it mean that the Father has given Jesus authority to judge because he is the Son of Man? Well, where I started digging was with uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book. Uh, He has a work called The Holy Spirit. And in that book, he helpfully points out that you and I, as we were thinking about last week, I'll just bring that back to mind, that you and I, through faith in Jesus, we become sons and daughters of the living God. And we become sons and daughters of the living God through adoption. We become sons and daughters through adoption. It's the redemption purchased by Christ. But you see, Jesus Christ is not like us in this. He's not like us in this because he did not become the Son of God through adoption. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he always has been the Son of God from eternity past. There never was a time when he was not. But remaining what he was, he became the Son of Man. And he became the son of man, not through adoption. He became the son of man through incarnation. He became the son of man through incarnation. You see, the father has given Jesus authority to judge because he is the son of man. You might ask, well, what does that have to do with Jesus' authority to judge? Well, Jesus says so. He says that the father has sent the judge. The father has sent the son into the world but the father has sent the son into the world praise god not to condemn the world the father hasn't sent the son into the world to condemn the world we know john chapter 3:16 but john chapter 3 and verse 17 says this that the father did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him well why not Why didn't he send the Son into the world to condemn the world? He didn't need to. The world was already condemned. The world was already standing under the judgment of condemnation. That's why he sent the Son into the world. You see, in verse 18, John tells us in chapter 3 that whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen to the judgment that the judge pronounces in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, the Father didn't need to send the Son into the world to condemn the world because every single person in the world stands condemned already. People will say to you, do you judge me? Well, I've judged myself first. I've seen my own sin. I've seen the plank in my eyes. I don't bring your sin to you to pronounce judgment on you. Not at all. Everyone in the world already stands under the condemnation of sin. We don't just hear in Romans chapter 2 that you are the man. We hear that we are all the men and women who stand under that condemnation. And then we go on to Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, which says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have become righteous worthless there is no one who does good not even one that is a heavy condemnation but praise god that it is in this condition that god the father sent god the son into the world he sent his son into the world through incarnation so that he might be made like us In every single way, except he was without sin. He's the only one without sin. Only Jesus, only Jesus can stand up to the scrutiny of judgment. Only Jesus is the perfectly holy, righteous one. Only Jesus can say, even before his his enemies, which of you can condemn me of sin? And that means that according to the law, the only man worthy of receiving the blessings of the law is the Son of Man. That's Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the one who is worthy to receive the blessing of life because of his perfect obedience. Every other one stands under the condemnation of death. Remember that the law says the man who does these things will live by them. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. So secondly, we see that because the Son of Man, because Jesus is the only one without sin, that only Jesus is worthy to be the Lamb of God. Only Jesus is worthy to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. Only Jesus had authority to lay down his life for sin. Only Jesus was worthy. And only Jesus was able through his suffering to satisfy the wrath of God for sin for each and every one of his people, for each and every one of you who put your faith and trust in him. See, we can think of past judgments for for sin. Think of all the way back in the book of Genesis with Noah. God sends a flood upon the whole world to wash it clean. But it didn't wash it clean of sin. Immediately after they got off the ark, there's sin again. A worldwide judgment cannot satisfy God's wrath against sin. And we can think of that judgment. If water didn't work, we can look to fire. Also in Genesis, the fire comes down from heaven and consumes Sodom and Gomorrah, the wrath of God. But even fire cannot satisfy the wrath of God against sin. And even as we've said, I think it was two weeks ago now, but even in the, the judgment of eternal hell, in the eternal fire, the wrath of God against sin will never be fully satisfied. It's only in the cross of Jesus Christ that we see the fullness of the wrath of God satisfied in the person of Jesus. Sin has been fully expiated. Jesus can say, as he hangs from the cross, it is finished. Judgment has been pronounced against sin, and it is finished. See, only Jesus, only the perfect Son of God, only that perfect Son of Man can stand before the righteous Father and can say, he can declare about you on your behalf that by my blood it is finished. Their debt for sin has been paid in full. Praise God. It's gone, washed away. Only Jesus had authority to lay down his life for sin. And only Jesus had authority to take up his life again because he has destroyed sin and death on behalf of his people. According to the law, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, through faith in the Lamb of God, Death, that measure that was due to you for your sin, has been measured to Jesus Christ. That judgment of death, that measure which is due to you, was measured to Jesus Christ on the cross. And only through faith in that son of David, that lion of the tribe of Judah, that measure which was due to him, Life that has been measured to you. Life has been measured to you. And it's only the Son of Man who can declare that verdict of life to those who are under the sentence of death. So I want you to hear the verdict because the verdict has already been declared. Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 24, He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. You will not be condemned. This is how we can have confidence on the day of judgment, John tells us again in 1 John, because you have eternal life and you will not be condemned. That is the pronouncement of the judgment. Jesus goes on to say in John 5, that you have crossed over from death to life. Crossed over from death to life. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come. That time is now. It has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's through the preaching of the gospel. Those people who embrace the gospel by faith, those who are dead in their transgressions and sins, and yet Jesus Christ calls them through the preaching of the gospel, they hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And if you have not heard that voice, I invite you to hear it, to put your faith and trust in the only one who can save you from the condemnation of death. Jesus says that the time has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Jesus has the right and the authority to make that pronouncement for you. Praise God. So if you are in Jesus Christ, this is the measure that has been used to you. And if we think about like a measuring tape, uh, that's not a great example because the measure of life that has been used to you is eternal. It's eternal life which has been measured to you. This is the grace of God that though you are a sinner, that through faith you have eternal life in Jesus Christ, that your sin has been washed free. And this grace is the gift of God to you. It's not anything that comes from yourself. So praise God that Jesus, he is the only one who is worthy to judge. And praise God that through faith in him, he has already declared judgment. He's already declared that judgment towards you, and that judgment is life, eternal life. So that will bring us to our last point, our third point. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Because this sums up the law and the prophets. So first, when you are tempted to judgmentalism, how will you measure it to your brothers and sisters in Christ? How will you measure it to the people who are in the chairs next to you? Because you have already heard the verdict concerning them. This is one of the things that we want to keep first in our mind. I've already heard the verdict concerning you, and it's life. See, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 pronounces this about you, and it also pronounces it about your brothers and sisters. Romans 8 and verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. And there is no condemnation for your brother and sister in Christ Jesus. See, no matter that speck of sin, there is sin in your brothers and sisters. And I've only been here three weeks. You've probably already seen it in me too. If I was here for fourth week, I guarantee you would if you hadn't. Maybe it was because you weren't here yet. But no matter that sin that you see in your brother and sister, the sin of judgmentalism is worse. Why? Because what it does is it takes that verdict of life, which has been pronounced against them, and we, we take it, I want to be careful here, but it's almost as if you are then the appellate judge who says, no, there's a court of appeals that somehow comes after the verdict which has been pronounced, and I pronounce condemnation. You see, this is exactly what Satan does in the book of Job. God says, innocent Satan says "Uh uh-uh guilty and so what he does is he accuses Job condemns Job but he also condemns the righteous judgment of God that's why judgmentalism is so dangerous so what do you do if you find that like David you realize you are the man and I what do I do when I realize I am the man well I'm the one with the plank in my eye So part of what we could do is we ask, we seek, and we knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Here's how we ask and we seek and we knock. and It's so easy to do, isn't it? God, I have forgotten your grace to me in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help me to see it with my eye which is full of wood. Please help me to remember the grace shown to me in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the judge, but the one who was judged for my sins. Please remove that plank from my eye. See, that's exactly what David did when he realized that he was the man. He went and he wrote Psalm 51. God, be merciful to me, and it's on your love that I rest my plea. By your vast abounding grace, my transgressions all erase. Please wash that sin. Jesus says, right? You've already been washed. but We still need to have our feet washed. So we repent. So Dave, David says to Nathan, finally, I have sinned. And Nathan says back to him, you will not die. So hear that promise of God to those of his children who ask and who seek and who knock. Don't forget your father in heaven. So listen in the text where Jesus says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, the Christian life is a life of continual asking. It's not even it's not even a morning by morning or evening by evening it's minute by minute that we are reliant on God's grace for us to interact toward him and toward one another in love. And so we often have to stop and say please help me to see. So Jesus says in this at a parallel passage in Luke chapter 11 when he's we're seeing he says how much more will your father in heaven give, gifts, give good gifts to those who ask him? In Luke 11, he says, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The fruits of the Spirit, we need them, the love and the joy and the peace, and you can finish the list, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Right? The, the Christian life is a continual asking and seeking and knocking for those gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we praise God that Jesus is that great physician who does remove planks from our eyes and he also removes specks. So maybe it's still in the back of your head, but what about my brother's eye? Yeah, it's true. I know. Well, your brother is also a sinner who is justified by grace. The same way that you are. By the same person that you are. And what do we do when we do see a speck in our brother's eye? Well, John tells us, again in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 16, he says that if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. We don't have to go poking into people's eyes. The simple answer is he should pray, and God will give him life. Galatians chapter 6, and verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Tempted to what? Tempted to the same sin that they're in? Maybe, but tempted to the sin of judgmentalism? Certainly. And Paul goes on there in Galatians 6 and says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's the sum of the law and the prophets, carry one another's burdens. So second, as we think of do unto others as you would have them do to you, I would also offer you this, well, how will you measure it uh, even to God's enemies? How will you measure even to God's enemies? See, as Christians, as we witness to those who are still dead in their transgressions and sins, we have no other gospel measure. There is no other gospel measure. And so we have no other gospel measure except be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14, teaches us this, that Christ's love compels us. Not the judgmentalism of our hearts, but his love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Say that again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, even those who take the other side of the political aisle. And though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's an invitation, but it's imploring. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise God. So our message is the same as the message of the apostles. Be reconciled to God. That does include the message of God's wrath for sin. We are not saying that there is no such thing as a day of judgment. That day of judgment is coming, it is certain, and it is fixed. The way that we know that that future day of judgment is coming is because we have already seen the judgment of God against sin in the person of Jesus Christ. So there is coming a day when those who do not confess Christ will be judged. But the day of judgment is not here yet. It is still the day of invitation. It is still the day of God's patience. So we are not God's bounty hunters. What we are is we are ambassadors, and we are offering terms of peace. And I get it, that this requires us to have judgment. This requires us to have supreme and sublime discernment. See, Jesus sends us out as sheep among wolves. You're like, people are probably not going to like to hear that message. Well, that's true. Jesus sends us out as sheep among wolves. He tells us to be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. We have to have discernment. And Jesus tells us, don't give to dogs what is sacred. And don't throw your pearls in front of pigs. Because if you do, if you don't have this discernment, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So this requires a lot more than the sermon has. We must have discernment about how and where and, and the way we offer the gospel. So in Matthew 10, you remember that Jesus sent out the 12, and he said, if they do not listen to you, shake the dust off of your feet, and it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that town. But we also ask, seek, and knock for real and genuine opportunities to offer the grace of God to those who are still under the sentence of condemnation. And we also ask for the discernment to know how to do this. So that is not easy because the Christian life, as we've been saying, is a continual reliance on God, on the work of the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. So in closing, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But praise God for the measure that was used for you in Jesus Christ, right? And secondly, Jesus is the judge. And Jesus still today is the day of salvation, and as the judge, he freely offers life to those who are still under the sentence of death. And thirdly, do to others as you would have them do to you, because this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we consider that that word that searches us we have to confess it has to lead us to confession that at one at one time and very often not too long ago we we were foolish and disobedient that we have been deceived that we've been enslaved or were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures and lord as we look at the world we sometimes even those these are the things that we are guilty of that we have lived in malice and we lived in envy we've we've we were being hated and we were also hating one another and lord we confess that as those who have been redeemed by jesus christ that we should never find those sort of specks and planks in our eyes but lord as that eye is so sensitive in our body i pray that you would give us a sensitive soul as well, and a sensitive conscience that feels that sting of our judgmentalism as soon as it enters into the eye of our soul, as it were. And we pray that we might cry out to you that you would wash that that stain, that sin, that speck, that plank from our eye. And we praise you that you will answer those prayers that you have promised, that to those who ask and seek and knock, that you are a Father who knows how to give good gifts. To his children. So I pray, Lord, that we would stress these things in our own lives to ourselves as we examine ourselves, but that we would also stress them in our inner interactions with others, both to our brothers and sisters in the church, and give us great discernment even in offering the gospel to our enemies. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who sits on the throne of God, and that we ask that you would receive praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.